0: We have to have that place of love for somebody else like me to be able to be loved to their purpose. And that's that's my heart, and that's, that's why I advocate so hard. You need a place where people know they can come to arrive at their purpose, and that's what Southside Tallahassee was for me.
1: Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Christique Henry, co owner and managing broker at Kingdom First Realty, who is probably best known for her passionate advocacy for the south side of Tallahassee. A Detroit native who grew up in Central Florida, Christique found a voice in high school as a stellar student, cheerleader, and anchor on the school TV channel. It was also the time she began to realize the different social dynamics and opportunity gaps between the haves and the have-nots in her school. Working to create equity for all members of the community would become the driving force of Christique's adult life. After ignoring advice from her friends at FSU to stay on their side of the tracks and not marry anyone local, she fell in love with a man and the people of the Southside while serving the children of Bond Elementary. She now helps Southside residents realize the dream of home ownership, advocates for strong families, Celebrates her community and lives out her faith every day. We started our conversation discussing what is most important to her.
0: What's important to me is love. Love is very important to me. Um, I I I try to infuse it in everything that I'm involved in, everything that I do. Um, it pours out into action through service. Um, but but love is what I'm I'm about, um, and not. The touchy feely kind that everybody sees on Hallmark or or in romantic movies—it's—it's it's kind of that love that helps people understand their place in the world. And sometimes it may come across as gentle, and sometimes it doesn't, because love can be hard sometimes. Sure. But I—I'm into that, and and I—I I think that that's what the world needs: more people who are very intentional about the application of love on all levels.
1: Great. All right. Well, we'll get more into what all that means and how that's been applied in your life in a little bit. All right. So you grew up in Lakeland, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm a Haines City guy myself. Oh,
0: so Polk County representing.
1: Imperial Polk County <laughs> right here in the room. It.
0: Yes, that's what it is.
1: So tell me what was, what was your life growing up in, like in uh, Polk County? What was that like for you?
0: You know, so it's weird. I grew up I, I transitioned to Lakeland after being born in Detroit, Michigan. So I spent oh, the first okay. six years of my life in Detroit, Michigan. And then we moved to Lakeland um, and I was six. And um, it was weird because everybody called like, you know, carbonated drinks. They call them sodas. <laughs> we called them pop. Right. right. So when we came down, we had all these different ways that we expressed and translated things. And my cousins, them thought we were aliens because <laughs> we were from the north. Really, we were from the north. And so there was a different sensitization that we had sure. because we were from the north. We came from a predominantly black area of the north on 7th and um, 7 Mile in Ferguson. And so, you know, coming down and living in Lakeland was different. We hadn't visited. We hadn't, you know, come to grandma's house in the summer in Lakeland. So all we really knew was Detroit. So living and growing up in Lakeland, to be honest with you, I I felt a lot of times like an outsider Hmm. Um, because, you know, when you're raised in the South, you know, those sensibilities are developed almost from birth. Right. You you learn how to the emotional intelligence, the the nuances, the the isms. Right. And you learn that Growing up, you learn the social mores and norms and I just didn't have that, you know, so I had to kind of acclimate to it as opposed to being raised in it. And it was it it was interesting because I couldn't forget who I was when I was in Detroit and I had to be someone in the South that I wasn't in the North. And and that has really impacted me um, growing up.
1: So what do you mean by that? What was what was it about growing up in Detroit that that gave you a different outlook on things that was hard to adapt to or didn't prepare you as well for later childhood when you ended up in Central Florida?
0: Well, I think it, it, it made me see things differently because in Detroit, you have seasons. Right. Mm-hmm. Snow falls out the sky. <laughs> right. And and we I was sick. So I knew that when the the ice melted near the mailbox that it was spring. Right. In, or summer, because depending on how hard the winter was, the ice didn't melt until either April or May. Right. And so you knew when summer or spring was transitioning because the snow melted and the big ice uh, mountain near the mailbox uh, melted and you know i my earliest memories of being pushed to school in snow and enduring environmental hardships that you didn't have to endure in the south you move to the south it's like sunny all the time it gets cold <laughs> for a little while but it, it's it's never like consistently any it's, it's it's consistently uh more so sunny and warm and and um and so you it's environmentally different it's socially different. Okay. Um, you know, when you get down to the South, um, you're expected to know things, right? You're ex- expected to know how to address people. You're expected to to be afraid, right? Or to be to to be intimidated in certain circumstances. You mean, like sir
1: and ma'am and that kind of thing. Or yeah,
0: it's 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 and, and
1: authority not, figures or at school or with friends or what.
0: So you know, we were raised. In the social norm, because my mom and dad were Southern, but we just okay. were around a bunch of people who weren't. And so, you know, it was it was it was it was Northern. It was Detroit. It was, you know, it wasn't sir and ma'am all the time. It was Midwestern. So when you got down to, to, to Lakeland, you know, in the South, it's it's very much tribal, very much familial, very much territorial um And so, you know, you were a part of a tribe. You are a part of a family. You are a part of a, a micro micro community. You kind of became aware that you were, you were black. You know, when I was raised up in in Detroit, you know, I went to school with black people. I lived in the black community, so there were never that really real differentiation of mm-hmm. being anything other than just a person in a community with other people that looked like you or whatever. And when you come down to the South, um, I was very uniquely aware that my first grade teacher, because I was six, she was a white lady. And um, she was so kind. And I just thought I loved her to death. So I just loved on her. And, um, you know, I just remember even that young, my classmates thinking that I was like her favorite. Right. But I didn't know anything else because this was like a, whoa, I got, you know, I got this white teacher. I didn't have white teachers growing up or in my nursery or in my church when I was growing up. Um, and then and then you become aware um, and, and maybe a little militant about really asserting your identity, you know, um, as a person, as an individual, trying to be seen, trying to be, uh, I guess that's the best way to say it, trying to be seen. I was one of five children and... Um, I was the middle child. And you know how they do middle children? They don't do us right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you, you're in the middle and you're either in trouble or you're not seen. And so I, I wrestled with that a great deal growing up. Um, and, and a lot of my environmentalism played into that. But I can say um, for the most part, my experience growing up in Lakeland was uniquely positive Um you know, I, 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 it wasn't a fight. You know, it wasn't a struggle. It, it was just kind of okay. This is where I am. Kind so of
1: readjusted a little bit.
0: That's exactly what it was. It was a, it was just a readjust. It was a recalibration. And, um, you know, I found ways to be able to translate to those around me. I was a very imaginative child, so I, I always loved to read, and I, I loved to tell the stories that I read. And, um, sometimes I made up other stories, and <laughs> I was very imaginative. And, um. And so I just, you know, I, I learned to adjust and um it was it was mostly positive living in Lakeland, being raised in Lakeland. Good people, um, good people. And I was raised in a multi um, racial church, which also helped a great deal, um, with that social adjustment to the South. Um, so my mom and my dad were very intentional about how they how they calibrated us in the South. And they never told us like, Don't be this, don't do that, don't they just let us kind of live and and navigated us through the moors and helped us to retain who we were while acclimated acclimating to where we where we were.
1: Mm-hmm. Did the kids at first think you talked funny? Did mm-hmm. you have a northern accent to them? Very
0: very northern. I was I, we were aliens. We talked proper.
1: Right? <laughs> You didn't know y'all and stuff we, like that. No
0: y'all. No right. now you can't take the y'all from me, but you know
1: <laughs> So I was gonna ask you, we talked about a lot of it already, but about your family, about your parents and your siblings and what kind of you know, what kind of life you had growing up, but it sounds like it was close and loving and supportive and all the all the good things.
0: Yeah. I mean it wasn't a Cosby show, but you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> nothing's a Cosby nothing's show. Nothing's a
0: Cosby show, you know. It was it was it was parents that, that that were working hard and trying to figure themselves out Mm -hmm. and had kids to raise. And, um, you know, the great thing about kids is that we are entirely resilient, right? So people think, even though I think that this is, this is folks trying to do the best that they know how, I think that people lose sight that kids are going to be, they're going to roll with their parents. And that's what we did. We did a lot of rolling with our parents. My dad, you know, he had a lot of struggles that he fought, Um, he had a lot of struggles that he fought through Um, being young doing um, being disappointed in himself Mm -hmm. but he used that energy not to traumatize us but to lift us up and to raise us and to love us and to show us what we had the potential to do because of what he did not do. Hmm. And um, I love my, I, you know, if there was ever a daddy's girl, you look up daddy's girl in the definition, there's like you? my <laughs> picture and a lot of people's picture right, and all of right. my siblings. But, you know, you think about fathers and, 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 you know, they're not always the, you know, the nice and shiny dad that that's, oh, you know. That wasn't my dad, but he was my dad he He understood his assignment mm-hmm. to his kids, and he carried it out the best way he knew possible and When he passed away in twenty eleven I can say that i had a i had a daddy I had a father who was a daddy
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um you know it mem reminding myself of him and his love towards us kids and how Instead of raising us in anger, he raised us in love is a testament to the power of human intentionality. And anywhere I am and anything I've accomplished, I give it to him because of the love that he gave to us. And, And not just the love, a love that bred confidence, that whatever it is that we would set our mind to do, we could do it. We could make it happen. And um, but he always wanted us to remember to love each other and to love other people. Hmm. And um, that's that's what I carry. That's what I carry in my soul. Just this pursuit of love and action, because that's what I saw modeled to me by my father. And that's why I believe it's so important for children to have their father, to have a father figure, to have a father and mother. But the mothers are carrying the brunt um, of a lot of things on a society level. But that father is so powerful He's, he, it's powerful in me. and um, so I, I advocate a lot for that because I, I have received the love of a father, you know the intentional love of a father, and I know what it can do in the heart of a child and in the heart of a, of a, of a woman. Mm. Um, so but he he worked through some things and he, but he raised us not in anger. he raised us in love, and I will never I will always be grateful to God for giving me a man in my life that did that for me.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. And for him to be self-aware enough to know that even in his mistakes and shortcomings, which we all have, every person, much less every father, but to still love you in a good way and not carry, you know, not pass that burden or disappointment or frustration onto you, but to separate that and still love you, that, that's an amazing testament to him.
0: He's an amazing man.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, so tell me about your mom.
0: My mama is a Southern woman <laughs> <laughs> who was sent to the North for a spell and came back and was still a Southern woman. She, she's an amazing lady. She um, she's For as long as I've known her, she's been a bold, cooking, telling it like it is, but will give you the shirt off her back woman. And she's still with me. Um, In fact, she's actually with me now as we broadcast. (laughs) Um, And, you know, she just has continued to try to reassert the things and the values that my father set for us. And, um, you know, she she always has been that way. Um, I think that, you know, when I think about my mom, I think about the ways that mothers have had to guide their children in circumstances and situations that that they weren't themselves certain of. Mm-hmm. And she along alongside um, my father did that, you know, and we as kids, you know, you don't really appreciate your mama. Right. Until you get grown. <laughs> you don't. It, you right. know, you don't really. Appre- I mean, you love her, but you don't really appreciate your mama until, until you're you get... doing
1: some of the stuff that she was doing with you. Right.
0: And you see why. Right. <laughs> You see why she had that mama little her voice. You see why she gave you that look. You know, you, you see why and you're just like, wow, that works <laughs> on other kids. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's amazing. But all right. this, all those mannerisms that are handed down from generation to generation, mother to mother, it's, it's all in her. And um, I am truly grateful for her and to still have her with us.
1: That's great. All right. So getting back to your time in school, what was high school like for you? for you you went to lakeland high school sure did
0: go knots newly secundus, second to none
1: (laughs) the dreadnoughts. (laughs) the
0: dreadnoughts.
1: um so what were those years like what did you enjoy doing were you involved in stuff you know what what was your what was your focus in high school um
0: so you know when you go from junior high school to high school i I feel so bad for kids, you know, because now they go to middle school, right? Right. And you don't get to go from like junior high school to high school. You remember how you went from like seventh to ninth grade, and ninth grade you were like in high school, but not in high school. Yeah. So you were like the big dog, and then you went to high school, and and then you were like a Rudy Poot again. High school was high school was like a defining moment for me because I was like really involved. In junior high school, and a lot of different things. I was in the band. I was in the flag corps. But the thing that defined me transitioning into high school is that I think I became more aware of, in a sense, of the differences around me. Right? I, I became more aware that, again, we're raised around our friends. We're raised in neighborhoods, and, and 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 these are the people you go to school with. But I became more aware of like the social dynamics of who have and who don't have mm. because high school is expensive right when you get to high school all the extra stuff the for extra, sure the yeah. extra stuff the service club, you know the all that stuff that stuff is is expensive and you see why you know the kids from your neighborhood aren't a kid or you see why the kids from your neighborhood may not be on the cheerleading squad or or this and that and other and so it became my pursuit to just try to see just how many things I could get in that I didn't see anybody else that looked like me in. So I began... Became...
1: <laughs> were there a lot of opportunities for that?
0: Well, you know, again, it was a positive. Um, I, I didn't have, like, this huge racial, you know, bit. That right now, if we, if I'm looking at high school, it made me aware of how many different other types of people there were, right? So there were the kids over there that smoked. <gasps> Ooh, they smoking. How they smoking? Right then, you, and, and how they smoking at school? You know, we were <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they had like an area.
1: <laughs> when did that become a thing? When did that become a... right?
0: Okay, and then it, and then you had like the the prep the preppy kids that you sure. know. But it, it just it just was kind of that awakening that there were so many differences and so many things that were keeping people apart because of the differences. And I just in my mind said, forget that. We're gonna figure it out. So I ended up. Um, becoming a kid, I think I was one of maybe three that looked like me.
1: Now, Um, what are you a what?
0: It was a kid. It was the key clubs, like junior club. I got you in high school. Okay, so um, really cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, when I participated, and then um, I got into uh, doing this thing called the Nighty News Network, and so I I was like a a a anchor and then a that's broadcaster yeah. and then i got into like niche broadcasting where i did historic moments and i i started sharing moments in history every morning as a part of our overall broadcast that's
2: very cool and
0: then i got a an opportunity it was it was really awesome and then i got an opportunity to be a producer for a season of the naughty news network so those things were like
1: wow. so just so people know naughty like dreadnought
0: dreadnought oh, oh yeah you not, better. not yeah. naughty
1: like bad <laughs> <laughs> the naughty news network that that could have a whole other <laughs> implication. So just want to clarify that, right?
0: That is very important. We were the dread knots for short knots, and then we trended into adjective form of naughty. Okay, okay. so it wasn't the bad naughty as, as was stated. Okay. Very important. Just wanted that's,
1: to be clear about that. Well,
0: yeah. That's important now. <laughs> um, but I, I think that for me being on the network, serving, being a conduit of information and media. In the TV One area, right, because that's when TV One started getting really big, and you started to have teenagers out, uh, actually address world issues from a youth perspective. A lot of great, a lot of great stuff came from that. But my defining moment for me in high school, Dave, was when I made the cheerleading squad at twelfth grade. This is a huge backstory, right? My dad would never let me cheer, ever, ever let me cheer. I wanted to cheer so bad went out, tried to go out every year and could not go out because I couldn't get the physical, because guess what you needed for the physical? A signature signature. from your Mm pick. Wouldn't let me cheer.
1: What did he have against it?
0: He was a football player, and in his mind, he... Okay.
1: He didn't want that relationship, Um, right? Okay. mm
0: -hmm. And so, you know, in his mind, what cheerleaders were, you
1: know, no He didn't want his daughter being in that position. Got it. That is it. And
0: so, um, finally, in my one moment of real rebellion, I went out for the cheerleading squad and got my mom to secretly sign my physical.
1: (laughs) Did she know what she was signing? She did. Okay.
0: She did, but she had seen my struggle (laughs) every year. And I just was like, look, let me try out. I may not even make it. And I tried out and I made it. And (laughs) (laughs) O-M-W.
1: So did you tell your dad immediately or come home in a uniform or what? How did, how did he find out? Um,
0: We came home and my brother, who is a troublemaker, came home and told my dad, you know, Christique made the cheerleading squad. And so my daddy was like, what? (laughs) And and then my mom was like, calm down, calm down. And I hope this doesn't offend anyone by me saying it. She told my dad, she's got to be on the squad because she's the only black on the squad. And my dad was like, she the only black girl that made the squad? I said, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. But this is what's going to happen. So guess who was at every football game? Guess who picked me up and dropped me off?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with your dad. Oh, uh-huh.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> he was very, very, he was always at the games, but he was very involved right. that year. And it was a wonderful year. It was a fulfillment of something I always was wanted. Was it to do. everything you thought it would be? It was great. Yeah. It was It was great. It was
1: great. That's awesome. So what did you do after you graduated from high school?
0: I Graduated from high school, I think it was May 28th or May 29th, and I went to FSU on June 14th. Okay. So I was two weeks from graduation when I came to college, and I came to college through the mainstream. So I I didn't come through a program or anything like that. I came straight through summer session, and it was the most traumatic experience of my whole life. I never in my life— Nothing could have ever prepared me for summer c session at fSU. Nothing, nothing from going to high school to co- nothing could have ever prepared me to do so for what that.
1: was what was so difficult about it?
0: I think the primary point of being transparent was that i understood I understood survival. I understood that I was coming from a working class family that did not have the resources for me to attend college and so I had to get scholarships I had to get financial aid but I had none of that when I went mm. so I was a first generation college student in earnest and you know now
1: I think the program they bring in kids from who are first-time college students or I mean first generation college students and they have a program to help them adapt and it's all to help that transition but I guess that wasn't available no
0: they I just didn't come through that way, oh, okay. Because I went to Lakeland High School, and Lakeland High School sends a lot of kids up sends here. Sends a lot of kids to FSU, and mm-hmm. they usually don't need that kind of help, right? right? And so I went in through mainstream. I had a pretty great SAT score, so I just went straight in, and and nobody gave me information about the SCP. Now the care program. I went straight into school. I think it set the tone for my first. Uh, couple of years of experience because i struggled i I struggled in college i i can say that um just because i wasn't prepared and i told my sister i said you're not coming up here how i came up here you coming in through scp or and that's the summer enrichment program that fsu has for first generation college student and they pay for you to come and they give you counseling and they help you transition and they acclimate you which all the things
1: you could have all the things i didn't have Right.
0: right but i had this friend named jamie who was a Jewish and Catholic girl from Miami, from Fort Lauderdale.
1: She was Jewish and Catholic?
0: She was Catholic and Jewish. Okay. I'm sure there's a story there, too. She was good at it. She's from Brooklyn. And that—she was my angel. And I give Jamie Bruma shots out every time I get— because if it was not for that—if it was not for Jamie at times, I probably would not have even eaten. Um, My brother sent me—
1: so which, how did you know her? How did you meet her? She was
0: my roommate. Oh, okay. When I got to college, of course, you just don't, I didn't know. I was a first generation college student. I didn't know you had to secure your housing prior to. I didn't know you were supposed to get your financial aid prior to. I didn't know any of this. All just I showed up. I know is I got this acceptance letter from FSU. I told them I was coming and I was coming. I didn't get all that stuff situated until I got there. Wow. And when I got there, they put me in Da Hall and my roommate was Jamie Broomer. And that that chick helped get me through the summer, and um, I, I, I'm so grateful for her friendship at that time. I mean, it just it just helped me, but it was traumatic. And then I went, you know, I went through several semesters, and then my my fall semester '95, my sister got killed in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, by a vehicular. Um, vehicular incident where a pole slipped off and hit her in her temple oh, wow. and she died on impact. Um, and so it, I kind of went through a a phase there where I just gave up and um, I went home. I went home. Um, my grades tanked. I went home and I needed to go home. Um, and I stayed home and my dad, um, he had to bring me back because it, it was a lot. And um, I didn't have the emotional after going through what I went through, trying to figure out college and then going through that with her and then coming. And then just I just kind of went through a, a little bit of a. I needed a gap year. Right. <laughs> and so I went home and um, and my dad just assured me, he said, listen, I don't care what you do. You'll always be my daughter and I'm here for you. And that phrase gave me the strength to overcome and to get back and to come back. And so I came back in 90 in 97 I came back and got back in um school. I went to TCC for a while. Love TCC. Yeah. Oh my gosh, TCC is like the bomb.
1: It is a great it's, great school.
0: It's great. Yeah. And so went there, got an A in statistics. That is saying something yeah. cuz I'm not mathematically inclined. And 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 went back to FSU and um got back in school and and went Was it po-
1: better the second time around for you?
0: I was so much more mature, so much more grown, and service helped that. Being in AmeriCorps here um, in Tallahassee, which maybe I'll get into a little later, yeah. helped me with that. Um, But I was so much more mature. I was so much more focused on the things I was interested in, and I was so much more confident in the person that I was because I was a little awkward. I went from being a high school, you know, pretty much innocent to coming to college and Yow, and then you know having to re rebound, regroup, and um when I came back I was way more confident and and able to kind of figure out where I was going. I had a much more firmer grasp on my faith, um and and learned how to pray myself through things. Learned how to ask the Lord to help me and guide me, and He did. And so um definitely grateful for that. It was better when I came back.
1: Yeah. All right. So you earned a degree in political science, mm-hmm. right? Why political science? What? What interested you about that field of study?
0: Public policy. read a book about uh, marijuana and the campaign. If I think about a book right now, I, I can't think about it, what the title was, but it was about the, basically it was talking about um, cannabis and talking about the campaign back then to legalize marijuana. And I just was reading through this argument and in my mind I was like, Are these people trying to make weed legal? Right? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. So we got into a debate in class and I was like, now I'm a pride. I was raised with pride and pride was like a program that taught drug prevention. And stuff okay. In like high dare, school. that kind right, of thing. Right. Okay. It was like the high school dare, but okay. you performed. It was great. And so I was, I was indoctrinated in just say no. Like I was the just say no chick. <laughs> And so when I was reading this book, I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're trying to legalize weed!" And so we got into this debate <laughs> in our public policy um, class, basic public policy basics 101 on one class. And I was like, "This is wrong. Weed is a gateway drug." Yeah, and I ca- I didn't call it cannabis. You had all the bullet marijuana. points. Right? I had <laughs> all my dare, all my all my pride team bullet points on drug. Uh, <laughs> on. Dr-
1: dr- my drugs are bad. Why well, drugs
0: are bad, and right. um, and so my the lady that the girl that was um. Debating against me, she was she was from South Florida and and there was a little bit of a difference. And she was saying how it's being sold anyway. It's not being taxed. It's revenue that's, le- you know, she sure. was given some, back then. Now, this is 25 years ago. I'm dating myself. Hey, y'all. <laughs> but she was giving points back then. So um, I, I really loved the discovery of how public policy forms, how the process politically, you know, activates, um, activates activates and legislates public policy and how things become statutes, it impacts the lives of people. Mm. Right. And, and so seeing that again, kind of going through that process of discovery and then kind of being aware of who I was and where I was, you know, situationally, it just all brought it together for me under the public policy umbrella. And so Mm. that was what I studied. Um, I went into a specialty in nonprofit um, management and administration um which really was interesting because then it showed how human services public policy and human services um in, interacted um and so i i just really was drawn to that conversation um and, and 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 enjoyed enjoyed learning more about government and being involved in government and being able to translate very high level conversations into um you know community level uh, yeah. understanding
1: right Something, obviously, that has come in handy for you over the last <laughs> however many years. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. That's awesome. All right. So after you graduate, from what I can tell from your background information, you went right into real estate. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So tell me how that happened. How did you go from public policy to real estate?
0: I met this guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it always starts with meeting somebody, right? Oh,
0: gosh. I met this guy. I was in AmeriCorps um i met him before i got in america i actually met him when i came to college i met him my my freshman year um and he was driving this like old cadillac he was trying to give me a ride to class i was like no i don't know you (laughs) um and then i met him again when i came back and he would come back and forth to the store and you know to i worked at Publix. okay and um and and so we we knew each other but we didn't have a relationship type deal and then I went to go work in Bond at, with the AmeriCorps team at Bond Elementary School right. um, through Leon County Schools at the time, and his family was from South. His family lived in Southside, like they had a house in the Southside. Um, they had they had family all over Tallahassee, but his aunt lived in the Southside. So I was working at this Southside school. He, their family. Uh, and I won't say ancestral because it ain't that old, but, um, you know, their family house was off of Tucker Street. And so he was familiar with the area and he would come and, you know, bring flowers, say hi, bring lunch. And so we began to, to date. Anyway, he was a barber and he ended up getting his mortgage broker license. And then he began, he got his real estate license and then he got his real estate broker's license. Okay, He did all of this before he was 26 years old. Wow. So I married him. <laughs>
1: And what is his name?
0: His name is Carlos Henry.
1: Carlos Henry. We're all right. still married. Yep.
0: Uh, but yes, that's how I got into real estate. I married a real, I married a broker, and I got my license, and then I became a real estate okay. broker.
1: What well, sounds like he was pursuing you pretty hard. I mean, that's he was pulling out all the stops. Oh, borderline stalking. It sounds like. A little bit. <laughs>
0: Listen, he he definitely made his intentions known. <laughs> um, it you know it it was he he was a it was interesting because when you come to Tallahassee. They tell you two things. They say, "Don't go across the tracks," mm-hmm. and they do. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm telling y'all. They tell you. That's at a, FSU, who's telling you that when who's... you're at school. The people that you're in. The people. I ain't gonna say their names specifically. Right. They tell you, "Don't go across the tracks."
2: All right.
0: And don't marry a lo- don't don't date a local. Don't get involved with a local. <laughs> And I did both of them. I went over there working at Bond, fell in love with Southside, fell in love with the community. Um, they loved me. And, I, and So at FSU, back.
1: they were telling you, I mean, yes. not the school, but people, people that you knew were telling you not to go over the literal railroad tracks to where FAMU and Southside, that part of town.
0: Yet they were going over there on the set to, you know, scope out whoever. But I guess they thought they were trying to give us cautionary, whatever. Um, but – and so you believe that, oh, I ain't going across some tracks, you know, I'm, I'm staying over here in school. It's very insular back then where you just, sure. you could be at in FSU. And I mean, it's not- much
1: more for people who don't know me. Before there was much more of a dividing line. Now it's been purposefully Gain Street and that whole area to bring the, the obvious thing to do, bring those campuses together and celebrate all this going on. But back in the day, they're. There was one side and the other side, right? You
0: better say it, and that is a great observation. I hope that listeners really take into mind that Tallahassee now is not what Tallahassee was when I came here. Mm-hmm. You know, there was clearly a middle between FSU and and what we now know as Southside and, and FAMU right. and the campus. And that's what they meant when they said don't go cross the tracks, right? I guess they thought they were telling you, you know, that it wasn't safe. I went there and I found identity. I found purpose. I found love. And, um, you know, that may not be everybody's story, but I, you know, I went there to serve and found all these wonderful things and met all of these awesome women and people. And, oh my goodness, Southside is just, I mean, to me is, I I don't even, I I can't even express, but, um, you know, I met him and, and, and married a local and, and he took me to Lakeland for us to get married so that it could be affirmed in the mind that she is leaving here.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. We married in Lakeland, and we came back, and we've made our home in Southside Tallahassee.
1: Yeah. Obviously, you've been doing it for a long time. Congratulations on the, you know having the business for so long. Because yes. it was... Uh...
0: The company began in 2003.
1: Okay. And um, you jumped in...
0: 2003. The, yeah, you did mm-hmm. it
1: together. You started the company together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep.
0: Kingdom First Realty. We... Um, you know, in, in grand uh, pursuit and design, we we got married. I graduated from college and we started a business all within six months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> way to space that out. Right. You know?
0: we, we love the trauma, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ride or die. Looking back on it, you know, there wasn't any other way to do it. But, you know, my husband has always been the dive in head first type. I'm a little bit more risk averse. But, he, he he doesn't mind, so I just kinda clean it up as we go. Yeah. But um we've been in business for eighteen years now and um it has been it has been very roller coaster. You've seen everything. Whew. I you know, I saw the recession of twenty oh seven. Right. And um it altered me substantially. Mm. Um it was another catalytic moment in my life. Um and it, you know, we had At that time, there was a shift in the industry because you couldn't you could no longer just be a person that listed and sold properties. You had to be a consultant. You had to know Mm -hmm. the market. You had to provide help because it was bad. Um, I had two people who I actually was working with during that Great Recession who committed suicide Mm -hmm. because they were. Faced with this hopelessness regarding the state of their mortgage it was that bad and if you haven't if you didn't go through the great recession in real estate you really don't have I always wondered why people talked about oh I was a realtor in the 80s when gas prices went up and and interest rates went up I was like oh big deal no, that is a big deal because if you right. can survive in the industry and give service during those times and do what agents had to do to serve the community during that time, then you know a little something about right. real estate. And that's what the Great Recession did for us. Um, but by God's grace and because I wanted to serve, we found a way to serve. And that's what we did. We went and we helped people find ways to keep their homes. We went and we read legislation. We we were very active in the Hope Now Legislation that President Obama passed, Mm -hmm. helping people get mortgages. I personally worked with the state of Florida to do over 700 um, hardest hit fund applications through their system where people were given loan payments for up to 12 months. Mm -hmm. It was a dark time. um, But public policy responded. Mm -hmm. And so that training came back from school. That passion came back. And that's when I think I became a realtor. That's when I became a real estate professional. 27 2007, 2007 through 2013 pretty much made me right into who you see I who you see I am right now as a as a community advocate and as a real estate professional
1: right and I saw in one of those ways to serve you became a certified foreclosure and default intervention consultant right? I did so that's a way that you were able to help those people when their world had you know just been turned upside down
0: yes and I you know <clears throat> I think when people When you're sitting at the table with folks about their home, everything comes up. I've sat at tables with folks who were on the verge of divorce um, and who let known everything that was going on in their lives because they were excited about their home. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the conversation about homelessness is so important in our community. That's why these conversations about affordable housing, accessible housing are important because there is so much that's wrapped up in this concept called home. Right. And when people are losing their home, it's not until you're in a position where you feel you're losing it that you understand its purpose and its power. And so, yes, I did get that certification through NeighborWorks America, who at the time, uh, shout out to NeighborWorks, were giving free, um, free instruction to all community advocates who were working in the space. Um, via a grant from HUD at the time, again, public policy responding. And um, I was able to obtain that certification and activate it in service in that sphere.
1: Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001, because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit fioricommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. All right. I want to take a step back a little bit and talk about Kingdom First Realty. Um, By the name of the business and the information on your website, I know you're a realtor and you sell and buy homes, but... That doesn't seem to be your first priority as a business person <laughs> and as a person. So I want to talk about your a little bit about your faith, the role it plays in your life, and um, you know it, it's obviously a priority. I want to talk about where that came from and how that impacts how you live your life.
0: Well, again, it just goes back to um, you know when my husband and I decided to name the company, um, we wanted a guiding principle for us. And uh, the scripture that came to his mind was seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. And so what better way to emblemize that than to make our company kingdom first. Mm -hmm. And so um, what we what our motto is, is building community by building relationships. And what we've understood over the time and working is that. This is really a ministry. It's really a vocation, like a vocational ministry, because we handle a bunch of people's properties. They buy these things to bring about profit, to be able to serve their families. And so knowing that the burden upon us to bring service that brings value to that investment is, is our job. And we don't do it as perfectly as we would like, right? Because we are, sure. you know, we have high high standards that we can't even meet, right? But we understand the assignment. And so um, we know that we have to set the Lord before everything that we do. We have to believe that God has given us this business, given us this responsibility to be a blessing to our neighbors. That's the highest form of neighborism, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the charge that we take. Do we do it perfectly? No, Do we, do we, do we have issues that we have to address on the resume? But yes, property management and listing and sales come with all of the stuff, right? Because Mm -hmm. people crazy (laughs) and, you know, it's a very high level conversation that you have to break down into, you know, and translate constantly so people don't feel like their interests are being undermined. Um, But we, we know that, and the Lord has been very good to us In our ignorant times and helping us transition through very difficult and very uh, uncertain places as we continue to try and serve through our vocation in the community that we love. Um, But that's the first and foremost, trusting the Lord um, in all that we do, trusting him through our mistakes, trusting him through 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 our victories, trusting him, you know, to be able to manage financially and 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 structurally and, and, and economically. All of these different components that that lend value to families and um, that bring value to their investment so that they can serve and love their families. And that's why we focus so much on Southside, because we see, you know, where there's an inequity there where infrastructure and broken window affecting all these different things lend to a regression of that type of service and that type of value being given to those families in those communities. Mm-hmm. And so we have set our sites and service there to try to bring equity to that space. And it's not taking from somebody else. It's just making sure that whatever is everywhere else is here, too. So that these families can have an opportunity to use the household equity to send their kids to school, to be able to build businesses, to be able to give to charitable organizations, to be able to live, and um, that's that's the faith that we have moving forward in the business that we have. It's really a vocational ministry for us, and um, and we are grateful for a community that has allowed us to serve us to serve them for eighteen years. Yeah.
1: So how does it feel on a one-to-one personal basis when you know you've helped a family achieve that and um, you put them in a home that's going to serve them and their family well and provide a legacy possibly for future generations? I mean, how do you feel about that?
0: It's, every, it's everything. It's everything. It's everything. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we talk a lot about social issues. And um, the thing that I never underestimate is the power of the human mind to achieve. The power of people to activate their own way to bring their own success when put on a field to do so. Mm. And when you have people who have sacrificed, who have Work their job day in and day out who have saved who have kept their credit up who have paid people on time and then they get to a point where they're coming to you and they're bringing all of this sacrifice to you and saying I want to become a homeowner Mm -hmm. that is a privilege it's not a right it's a privilege and when you're able to take them through the process to obtain homeownership and they buy a property that they're going to be locked into a payment every year. They're going to be locked into a circumstance for 30 years. You want to make sure that they have a good circumstance they're locked into. Right. And so when you see it happen over and over again, you, know, you get a little bit of a hero complex. <laughs> you you have to be real yeah. humble now. You got you to got really because sure. some people do think they're heroes, right? And and we're not attorneys. We may play one on TV, right? But you get into a lot of that kind of legal ease when you're dealing with transfer properties. Right. But I mean, you can really develop a, a you could develop a hero complex.
1: I have to be a little transparent here. I didn't even know you were a realtor until <laughs> not too many years ago because I just knew you from your community involvement. I knew you from all the things that you do and your kind of synonymous with Southside in a lot of ways in, in your work. So I was like, oh she's a realtor. That's what she does her, for the rest of the time. So um yeah so I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um mm-hmm. how your and we'll talk about some of the, you know, some of the programs and events and stuff in okay, a minute. right um talking about your your passion for Southside and you you've mentioned AmeriCorps and and being at Bond and I imagine that was part of the origin of that. So And, and, you know, and marrying Carlos and his background with Southside. But I want to hear, you know, you obviously have a great passion and a lot of energy. And you've worked very hard over the years to do a lot of good things on the Southside of Tallahassee. Just where did that come from and what is the origin of all that passion?
0: Well, um, for me, it, it began with, of course, me being in AmeriCorps at Bond brought me to Southside. But what taught me about Southside was catching the bus every day from Southside. Back then it was called Tau Tran. Now it's called Star Metro. Right. Um, but every day I came in to t- came into the community um, on the corner of Campbell and Saxon is where the the bus stop was in the neighborhood. Um, and there was a lady that lived, it was a two story, um, multifamily duplex right there. And there was a lady lived on the bottom and she would come out every morning and she would see me get out. She would say, she would wave and I would wave at her and I would go across the street to, um, bond for, for, uh, work. And so, um, I would catch the bus there going home when I was done with, because back then when you came to school in the morning, You went to the after school program. I went to the after school program at Smith Williams and I worked in the after school program. And then you would come back to the after after school program at Bond School because they had an after after school program at the school. So the kids would have somewhere to have breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. Um, In the bond community. And that was really yes,
1: food at school is a huge issue. Hugh, I mean, it, huge help.
0: Yes. And supervision. Right. At right. that time, keeping the kids involved, keeping the kids supervised because they knew mom and daddy didn't get off to six, seven o'clock in the, in the evening. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would go catch the bus going home on that corner every day. And if she, if I wasn't there by the time the bus got there, she would go out there and tell the man to wait on me because she saw me get off the bus and she knew I was coming. Mm -hmm. Most times I was there to meet the bus on time, but if I wasn't, she was out there to show and see. And so if I didn't come in on the bus that morning and I caught it that afternoon, she'd come out and say, I didn't see you come off the bus this morning. I said, no, ma'am, I I got a ride this morning. And so she was watching me. Mm -hmm. She was looking out for me. Then as a college student... You know, I met all these wonderful women, Queen Bruton and, um, oh, my gosh, uh, Miss uh, Gloria Anderson over at the Smith-Williams Center at the time introduced me to all the women of the South Side. Oh, my goodness, Edwina Stevens, all of these women. And they were great women. But what, what interested me most is that they were interested in me, you know. And so if I didn't have a ride or I missed the bus, Miss Edwina was taking me home. I lived all the way down off of Souda road. At that time, wow, she was taking me home. Right. If I didn't have, I remember one time, because um, miracle you don't get paid that much money. And I was, our lights were off. We got our lights cut off um, at the house. And um, I didn't have money to pay for the light bill. And until I got my check. And so Ms. Bruton was like, how much money do you need? And I was like, oh no, I can't take no money from, you know, I'm just thinking, I just don't know what to do. And I'm just trying to figure this out. She literally wrote me a check. To go and get my light bill paid, she said. Now you take this down there and you go and get that. You get that handle. You give it to me whenever you want. to. I give it right back to her. But it just was like yeah. stuff like that. And then, um, you know, just being taken under the wing and being treated like a daughter by this community, being being groomed, if you will, um, in work and in, in projects, and given opportunity to lead and to learn and to follow. Um,
1: Why do you think they did that? Because they saw you working and trying to make a difference or because they just saw you were alone and could use the help or?
0: Maybe all of that. Yeah. Maybe all of that. Maybe they saw my potential and said, we're not, she's not going to be, we're not going to lose her. Hmm. You know, we're not going to lose her to uncertainty. We're, we're going to make sure that she arrives at her destination. Whatever it was, God used them mightily in helping me. Um you know, my church family worships and praise center at the time were great. I had a, a mentor there at the center named Miss Dolores Myrick, um, who just mentored and prayed. And gosh, I mean, they just looked out for me. And I, and that 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 energy, that spirit, that intentionality is it translated to me creating a mentoring program at that center, um, the Divas Girls Mentoring Program, mm-hmm. and I ran that program for over fifteen years. Um, we mentored close to four hundred girls in the South Side, those girls taught me so much. They taught me how to not categorize people, how to not look at people and think I know their potential. And I began to learn that things aren't on the surface, ever on the surface, that I'll ever look on the surface, and that love, love can do anything. Love can do anything. Love is the power. And as I loved them when they were acting up, when they were you know, excelling, whatever. I loved them through it all. And in loving them, I learned how to love. Mm-hmm. And Southside did that for me. It took a self-centered, self-focused young person, because I was young. I was 20 years old. I was young, I, you know, cared about the things that a 20-year-old cares about. But they grew me up and gave me gave me a vision of purpose and helped me to arrive at that purpose. And I will be forever grateful to the women and to the men and, and the leaders in Tallahassee Southside for taking me on as a daughter and giving me opportunity to serve and to be loved and to show me how to serve and how to love. And and that's what the Southside means to me. So when I look at the housing disparities, the affordability, the issues, the crime that, you know, that of, of survivalism because people are trying to survive, unfortunately, uh, the the legacy of drug use and drug Drug trafficking and, 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 and the impact of drugs on the community, the impact of, of, of family brokenness, the impact of just the decline of, of, of a lot of different things, I see it through the eyes of love and through the eyes of family. And um, that's the approach I and others are working to address and working to, to, to build and rebuild within Tallahassee Southside. We have to have that place of love for somebody else like me to be able to be loved to their purpose. And right. that's that's my heart, and that's that's why I advocate so hard. You need a place where people know they can come to arrive at their purpose, and that's what Southside Tallahassee was for me.
1: Hmm. One thing that has been a, a a passion of yours most recently is the uh, Soul of Southside Arts and Humanities Festival. Mm-hmm. So uh, had the first one this last year, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Tell me about that, Where what the origins were and what it is and how it went.
0: That's a perfect segue from our previous conversation. Again, um, the Soul of Southside Festival, Arts and Humanities Festival, is an equity and in practice initiative. And when I talk about equity and practice, what it is is basically all of our um, activities, all of our um, consensus building approach to this festival is arrived at through to co- three co-centric um, Uh, circles which are engagement inclusion and diversity and so we utilize those three concentric circles and in the middle we believe that if we do those properly and in balance we'll arrive at this thing called equity okay and so what we try to do is we try to create a forum whereby we can bridge arts plus history we can bridge commerce plus love we can bring people to the community to experience the community in summary, but also through the eyes and narrative of the residents and citizens. And so last year was just a tremendous first year, you know of activity and and it probably should have resulted in some PTSD from the folks that were organizing <laughs> right. because sure. it was a lot in three days. it was a a lot lot in three days. commensurate is not. Uh, is the idea that Florida's emancipation is on the 20th of May. So there's a lot of tradition community-wise on the 20th of May that um, is also having to be kind of observed and, 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 and respected as we pull this, this, this uh, celebration together. So this year's event is from May 14th through May 22nd. Okay. We'll have activities going on daily that week, and they'll all be focused in Southside or at a location within Tallahassee Southside. We're trying to get people to flip the script. As a realtor, I just couldn't real I couldn't understand why when I tried to sell houses in Southside, people were like, I don't want to live over there, right? And so I quickly began to learn what the problem was. For me, I've lived there, you know, all the time I've lived here, and I've never had any issues with crime or anything like that personally, but I'm, you know, that's me. Um, other folk and in, in the narrative I, I get it and so we're just trying to use this equity and practice approach to arrive at data supported at- approaches to community and economic development that revitalizes the neighborhood um authentically and in, um and in in, in, in in a culturally um culturally competent way, as opposed to the mindset of redevelopment where you have to remove identity for from a space to bridge values. So the Southside Festival is really putting Southside every year, um, you know, out there for people to come and see Southside. Mm-hmm. And we merge that with music and culture and, and, and opportunity and, and, and all kind of great things. Um, it's very intergenerational. Really looking to build this as a, like I said, going to that three-pronged approach of inclusion diversity and engagement to really build this sense of um, what we call data-supported equity within Tallahassee Southside.
1: Okay. You serve on many community advisory (laughs) councils. You have um, won several awards over the year, like Big Ben, or the um, Small Business of the Year from the Big Ben Minority Chamber. Um, You were one of the—this has to be one of the original classes of the Tallahassee Democrats 25 Women (laughs) You Need to Know. That was back in 2011— I don't know. That had to be, I didn't research it, but it has to be one of the first years. So you're an OG woman you need to know. Um, (laughs) OG. So, yeah, sorry. I like to drop that. That is hilarious. I love it. My kids make fun of me whenever I try to say something. (laughs) I love it. Oh, I love it. I'm going
0: to steal it. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Um, And then now you are currently, as we record this, you're one of the finalists for Leadership Tallahassee's Servant Leadership Award. I know you don't do it for the awards or the recognition, but it's gotta feel nice to be recognized for all your hard work.
0: You know, I I'm still trying to process, right? Uh you know, with one of with these awards, the honor is being nominated, right? Because there are so many people that could just be nominated. So sure. if you're like the three that's with your head shot on the picture, it's <laughs> I mean, you really you've already won. What it is for me is ammunition. Hmm. Community work is hard. It ain't all sexy. You know, when people are asking your opinion about things, you have to give it. And you have to know it, right? You have to know something to have an opinion. You don't just get to have an opinion for opinion's sake. It has to be rooted in knowledge. It has to be rooted in some sense of, I have spoken to someone And I have experientially arrived at this determination. And then you have to be willing to act on it. You know, I don't think people believe me when I say I really am an introvert. I really am most comfortable being at home with a book or on my computer typing. But this passion drives me to be outwardly, you know, expressive. It drives me to be, you know, a hype chick to the utmost. Right. Because I want to see impact. And so this award gives me more ammunition. It gives me more water for the journey of impact because that's what we want, right? We don't want recognition. We want results and we want impact. We want people to know that they're valued, that, that by virtue of being a neighbor, they have intrinsic value and that they have a responsibility also to bring value, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we want. And, and awards like this in a community space like that give you the ammunition to continue to believe that results can happen. That impact is happening. And it is happening. It's incremental. But we're impatient. We want right. it to all be right now. And right it wears now. you
1: down after a while. It right? wears you
0: out, right? It, yeah. it wears you out because you want people to function from a place of understanding as opposed to a place of ab- adversity or adversarialism. And I... I I, I I give tremendous credit to those, even those I don't agree with, who are consistent, who continue to fight their good fight, informed, mm-hmm. right, committed, even in the space of lack of public support. But they're informed; they have consensus behind their opinion, and they're 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 representing that in the public space. And so, this award as a servant leader, it really this just this, this nomination. I haven't been awarded, um, and I have some shout out to the, my my co nominees Dan Taylor, O M W, tremendous arts advocate, and and Sheila Saylor, who has, you know, basically been the matriarch of you know senior service um, through the years, and right. and has been a tremendous um, scion in that respect, you know. We are among great people who we depend on to do great things. And I would rather do great things than be a great person. Mm -hmm. And that's what an award like this does. It recognizes somebody who, you know, maybe in pursuit of being great, but want to see great things happen.
1: All right. And I'm going to keep you from getting in trouble by giving you the chance to shout out your LT class. Yes, so, yes, yes. So what what class yes. were you in?
0: LT class 38. And listen, you can all be the best class ever, but you can't be the freshest class ever. <laughs> and that's who we are. We are the freshest class ever. Shout out to our cheeses, Deontay Gavin with uh, Leon County uh, uh, Tourism Visit Tallahassee, um, to Kay Myers um, with Big Ben 211. Um, It's our little cheese, Lauren Bacon with the Bacon Agency and all of our folks who are just um, we have a great class. We have great energy. I don't do enough with them. I want to do more.
1: You're also the president of the Southside Rotary Club, right? I am. Okay, so don't want to leave them out either. No. So tell me why a Rotarian being a Rotarian is important to you.
0: You know, the four way test. Four way test sold me on Rotary. Um, I, you know I was all over the place doing service everywhere, right? Mm. As we talked about earlier, and I I was feeling a little exhausted, <laughs> trying to have all these fires burning. I was like, oh gosh, I gotta find a, a place where I could pull all this together, and Rotary was the place, mm. you know. And when I read the four way test, you know, when you can, you know, have you know have a guide point where you can say, you know, will it. Will it build trust? You know, um, is it beneficial to others? You know, will it build goodwill? Is it the truth? You know, is it the truth? Right. And, you, you know, you look at these things, you know, it, it, those are guiding points, right? And and those are things that you can reflect on in every decision that you make. And when the motto service above self, because I was like, oh, shoot, well, I'm home, you know. <laughs> right. And But with Rotary, like with every organization, you have to shape it to meet the needs of the community that you serve. And so that has been you know, the benefit of being able to be in a club in Southside that focuses in on Southside issues. And um, that has been very important to me, and it's been a blessing. But also my district family, our, our clubs here in the area are tremendous support, tremendous champions, um, co-champions of things that we do. We support each other. It, it's just a tremendous organization. I, I keep telling folks, y'all, you're missing out. You need, to, you need to be a Rotarian if you're not.
1: So two last questions, and I appreciate your time. I know know it's been a little bit, but I just – there's been so much good stuff. I haven't (laughs) wanted to miss anything. All right, uh, Christique, looking back, what is the one thing or person that you think has had the, the single most effect on the trajectory of your life to this point?
0: My daddy. He's been at every catalytic point, and his spirit continues to guide me his demeanor continues to guide me um so yeah my my father Roosevelt Pugh he's he's the the shaper of of my trajectory um given to me by God to to help me understand my purpose and whenever I get confused about anything I I go back to things that he told me that I wrote down or, or remember and I get back right
1: The podcast is named How I Got Here. (laughs) And we've talked about how you've gotten to this point in your life. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now?
0: I know I'll still be serving through my profession. I know I'll still be in real estate. Hopefully it'll be more consulting, more administrative, uh, more managing brokering as opposed to managing brokering and working, you know, additionally. Public service-wise... I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, I, I have a lot of people with ideas of what they want me to do, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I want to be where I can be impactful. I want to be where people feel my desire to help us be better. I want to be where the love is, um, even if it's hard. That's where I want to be. And if it's in public service, if it's in community service, if it's in, you know, just community advocacy and organizing, wherever that is, I want to be where the love is. And and that's where I want to be. And that's where I always want to be. Um, And that's what my dad told me. You know, whenever you get lost, go where the love is. And that's where I always go. It ain't always soft love. It ain't always lovey-dovey love. Sometimes it's hard love. But recognize love when it's love. And be there and endure, and you'll be all right.
1: That was Christique Henry. And just to update the award nomination part of the story, on March 30th, Christique was named Leadership Tallahassee's 2022 Servant Leadership Award winner. A more worthy recipient, they could not have chosen. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiore Communications who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media, or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.